passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rusev knew that Nakamura was moments away from being put away. And look at KO. Big O showing his support for the new New Day. Oh, wait a minute. Kofi pushed Owens out of the way. Trouble in paradise. Great thinking by Kingston. But what the? Wait a minute. As if they don't have too much on their plates The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade They talk about the things they did that day They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H Rewind to Smackdown Rewind to Smackdown Rewind to Smackdown Rewind to Smackdown Hello, everybody. John Pollock waiting with you. Welcome to Rewind to SmackDown. Wait, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. You and I are probably two Torontonians that have not lost our minds. Uh, it was quite a quite a dichotomy for our Toronto sports franchises on Tuesday night. So I've heard. So I've heard, John. My Twitter is filled of the most doom and gloom because the Toronto Maple Leafs were eliminated. And all I can say is the Raptors advanced. Like, can't there be a little levity here? Maybe I'm just following the wrong people, but I would take, if you're looking at league to league, the Raptors have, um, the Raptors could really go far in these playoffs. I did not have high hopes for the Maple Leafs. So it's not all, it's not all disappointing news on Tuesday night. I guess it, Depends on uh, which side of the coin you happen to be falling on. Winners. Um, That's the side of the coin most everyone should be on. Following winners. The Raptors are. The Leafs are not. So get onto the bandwagon and be a basketball fan for the next month. Yeah. Until they lose two and they get out. And then um, all the city will be burning. Well, it was very, very depressing. Did you watch any of the games tonight? I maybe in highlight form. Honestly, I took more joy in watching the reactions from people um to the losses, to be honest with you. It's very intense. Yeah. Um now I people kind of now I I know how how it looks like when wrestling fans go crazy over some stupid thing. And and if you're not not a wrestling fan seeing that on your timeline. Well, we have uh, much to discuss tonight. We are going to go through SmackDown. We are going to take some of your feedback, get through this show from Lincoln, Nebraska. That's right, yes. As well, I think you and I, uh, we decided to talk about uh, some of the New Japan matches over the weekend. Correct, correct. At the end, we will go over uh, some of the highlights of the Sengoku Lord event that took place on Saturday. This is the absolute 
longest you are allowed to talk about a wrestling show that has already happened, that being uh, three days later, because then it just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to that. Uh, what is coming up on the site this week, Way? Take us through it. Oh, so much. So much, so much, so much that I um, have to bring up my calendar to even check. But uh, starting off, the double shot is something that we've, uh, John and I have been experimenting with uh, putting out on Wednesdays or more specifically Thursday mornings instead of um, right afterwards on um, Tuesday night. So uh, we'll be doing that again this week. We'll be talking about the latest edition of Dark Side of the Ring, which is the episode talking about uh, Bruiser Brody. And that actually happens to be an episode that is up on Viceland for free, right? That everybody can preview, correct? I think if you're in the U.S., you can watch it. I don't know if there's access outside of it, although we have a very smart audience that can probably get around that. Um, but yeah, mm. they did make this one available. This also screened at StarCast uh, last year. Uh, this was not pulled from StarCast uh, before it aired, so that that was good news for StarCast last September. But yeah, yeah we'll chat about that on uh, Wednesday night, so lots to discuss on that documentary, and it seems each week that this series is getting a lot of attention, and... Uh, Viceland, all on the all on the on the wrestling bandwagon right now, as we will discuss uh, a little later on. But uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that as well as uh, some of the other offerings in the in the in the wrestling world that we don't get to normally talk about on Raw or SmackDown review. So uh, we'll be doing that tomorrow on the cafe, and then on Thursday up next is back. I ran into Davey Portman on the street today on my way to get oh. a haircut. I didn't exactly run into him. I like I was in my car as he was uh walking with his girlfriend. Oh, did you literally run into him in your car? And- no. I I I ran my car next to him <laughs> and then I very impolitely honked at him to get Oh, the attention. worst. Well, the come worst. on. What am I supposed to do? Like open my window and shout? That would have taken way longer. But then it got awkward. It was just like, "Oh, hey. Hey." All right. You know, what are you supposed to do? Like you're in a moving vehicle. You're probably at a green light. Like, we're acknowledging that we've seen each other, but what's the next move now beyond, hey, that's all you can do in it's, that situation? It, it's honestly nothing. There's nothing you really can do. I, I wasn't about to have a conversation. They weren't. They didn't look like they were interested in having a conversation either. Um, but at the same time, it would have felt rude to not say anything sometimes, yeah. you know? It would have, and you would have felt terribly, like, awkward and felt guilty after, yeah. but... I would have probably just ignored and moved on for for that simple reason. Well, you know what? Next but then, time, but then you have like the uh, the guilt on you afterwards. It'd be like, oh man, what if they saw me and thought I was purposely ignoring them? So yeah, then you, you're then you're down a whole nother uh, avenue. If you passed me on the street in a car and you didn't get my attention some way via honking or something, and you told me about it afterwards, I would be pissed. I'd be completely upset at you. So. Um, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe we need to come up with some type of like signal that doesn't involve, you know, something as uh, loud as a car horn. Maybe like a keyword, you know, maybe like boomerang. I don't know. Something like that. I'm like, oh, John, hey, I wouldn't even need to turn around to know it was you. Anyway, yeah, like I, I feel that if you actually saw me in the street, be like, I see this guy all the time. Is this necessary? I don't even feel I'd get like the courtesy honk from you. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessary or not, but it's there's something about seeing somebody in a different context that you don't normally see them that makes it somewhat fresh. It's like kind of like seeing the same wrestler that you've been seeing every single week, but except now they're on Tuesdays instead of Mondays. And it offers a small bit of freshness for a week at least. 
So that's up next. That's coming out on Thursdays on their feed. And then on Friday, uh, well, Thursday, uh, if you're a Double Double uh, or Espresso or Ice Cap patron, uh, you will be uh, having access to the Cafe Hangout at 3 o'clock. This week, we will have uh, Brandon Howard Thurston on once again to talk about uh, what, John? He is going to be joining us to talk about the WWE financials. They're going to be putting out their quarterly report on Thursday and then doing the investors Q&A. So we'll have Brandon on. We'll chat about whatever the big topics are uh, coming out of Thursday's report and call. And then we'll go through whatever other news is happening Thursday and take your phone calls, which uh, each week we're getting a a steady stream of calls. So we will uh, block off some time to take your calls uh, on Thursday. And that archive will be out on Fridays, as usual, for everybody else on YouTube, as well as on this very feed right here for free. Uh, But then on Friday, to me, this feels like the main event of my week. Not only is it the day of release. Oh, actually, technically, Thursday is the day of release of Endgame. But for me, I'm going going to watch it on on Friday. And I think a a vast majority of people will be watching on on probably Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Uh, But you and I will be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 which um, is our latest MCU review. And I think a great precursor to, uh, uh, in my opinion, you know, the culmination of kind of like the whole uh, galactic cosmic side of of, of the MCU, at least for the time being. So uh, if you don't have your tickets to go see Endgame, maybe you want to revisit us talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 starring David Bautista. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting about that with you. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, very, very popular uh, film of the the MCU. So yep. we'll chat about that on Friday. And then Saturday, a full, it is... A full weekend of Brother Nate. Yeah. Well, everyone is in for a treat, starting off with the return of the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. That's right. Yes, the other uh, well-known actor, wrestler-turned-actor, uh, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, Nate will be talking about Be Cool. Be cool. Um, have you seen that movie? It's the it's my it's my mantra. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, who who? Uh, what is it? It's like John Travolta. It's like the sequel to Get Shorty, right? I haven't seen it in a long time. But I did see it actually when when that movie came out. I came close to being able to get an interview with Dwayne Johnson, but it didn't happen. No, oh, you, you were gonna. He was gonna save you for the Tooth Fairy. Yeah. He's like, I'll. J- you just wait. Who's uh? I, yeah. Who's on the show with Nate? He is going to be joined by Brent Chittenden. Wow. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So Brent's doing that. And then on Sunday, Nate returns for a review of TNA Impact's, sorry, Impact Wrestling's Rebellion pay-per-view with you, John. Correct. We will be chatting uh, TNA Impact Wrestling Rebellion from the Rebel, Rebellion from the Rebel Entertainment Complex. That's got to be the idea, isn't it? Behind the name? I guess yeah, it's a good thing they're not doing it at the Smoothie King Arena. Uh, yeah. Uh, hard to be re- rebels in a big corporately owned facility, I guess. I don't know what they're rebelling against. It's just sometimes I feel names for pay-per-views are just like money in the bank makes sense. Like that's what everything's built around. But rebellion, there's no there's no rebelling going on. They're they're rebelling against the negative. Um, I don't know opinions people. They have. I don't uh, think people have too many negative opinions about Impact, to be honest. They're kind of in this weird spot now where they don't have... There's not a lot of people watching, but there's also not the... grand. Like, people are not, like, groaning when you bring up Impact Wrestling either. Like, if you watch it, it's a good show. No, there's that some- ROH has kind of taken over that, 
that space, at least for the time being. Uh, perhaps they've made some questionable decisions. I think people are very much in a wait and see mode, but yeah, there's, there's maybe been kind of that, um, part of the market that has been taken over by ring of honor. So we'll see what kind of a show that they put out. Uh, we did talk about it on Monday night, but there are tickets still available both for Sunday's pay-per-view and the television tapings on Monday. They sent out a press release on Monday. I got, I got this several times in my inbox. So they must have listened and decided, let's put out an entire press release to a- answer John Pollock and Waiting's uh, query. Well, as they should, of course. And uh, yes, that review will be on this free feed as well for everybody. Correct. Uh, so lots of great stuff coming up. And uh, not to get too far ahead, uh, but next week on the Double Shot, we will also be uh, tackling not just the, the Von Eric episode, of Dark Side that's getting tons of great reviews, uh, but also the the Crockett Cup that is happening this weekend. Wayne and I will talk about that on the double shot, but uh, we're getting very far ahead of ourselves. Let's chat about the news that's going on today, starting off with StarCast. The Undertaker and Kurt Angle will no longer be appearing at StarCast. This according to event organizer Conrad Thompson. He spoke to SI.com stating that the two uh, have been pulled and stated uh, in the article, it said that both have signed new deals with WWE, and this has ultimately come down to WWE, and they've tried to work out uh, other arrangements. They were told that any damages occurred uh, will be taken care of on StarCast's end, and there was discussion of providing replacements for these guys, but then after Conrad Thompson, God bless this guy, he pitched Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, or Paul Levesque, uh, coming in their place and had stated that all proceeds, uh, who, whoever the replacement was, would go to Connor's Cure. Uh, none of that is happening. And then they were trying to get Shawn Michaels when they were told that no main roster performers would be replacements. So as of now, there are no replacements uh, for The Undertaker and Kurt Angle. And yeah, this is kind of um, this is kind of like a bigger version of the Inside the Rope story because I think uh, StarCast is that much bigger of a just gigantic convention and the undertaker was a huge part of it when they made that announcement back in February. But I mean, it's very clear what it, what is going on here. And it's just unfortunate that this is happening with the undertaker, not in the negotiation stages. It's not stuff is getting shut down. It's after the guy is announced. It's after tickets are sold. It's after people are, you know, this is someone that I feel people would be, going out of their way to go see whether it's at the inside the rope shows or it's here at Starcast, And I, th- I think it just really sucks for the people that were planning to go see him at Starcast. Yeah, it does. I mean, now are there any opportunities to, to go see the undertaker for a meet and greet if, if you wanted to? So he's doing those meet and greets for inside the ropes. He just got pulled from the Q and a portion. So he's still appearing. Mm-hmm. And he also has a date at the Niagara Falls comic convention coming up for now for now i th- i think that if you're that that um promoter you would certainly be nervous because he is scheduled for sunday june the 9th and it hasn't officially been announced but i mean the saudi arabia show is expected to be on that friday june the 7th although it doesn't sound like that's uh confirmed yet but that would mean he would be in saudi arabia and then fly to do this appearance on june the 9th and like this guy, what he is charging, it is astronomical the mm-hmm. amount that he is charging. So this is like I would not have the stomach to be a promoter involved with the Undertaker right now, knowing that I could get a phone call that could 
greatly, greatly jeopardize my event and the amount of money that is involved in all of this. Not to say the promoters would be on the hook for his fee, but man, when you're selling tickets and high price tickets, like when you hear what the Inside the Ropes team was uh, charging to for the Undertaker shows and what Ni- Niagara Falls is charging, like these are huge tickets that they are uh, huge uh, valued tickets that they are selling. Um, yeah, it's just I, I just hate this. I think it's just such a mess, and it's it's really just falls ultimately on the fans and the promoters that are kind of on the hook for this as well. Seems like a real nightmare for some of those organizers to try to you know uh, find make goods for for to replace the Undertaker. And I I mean, how, how do you do a make good for the Undertaker? I mean, there's only so many guys that have that kind of Brock such Lesnar. limited uh, that limited exposure at these conventions that are so special that you could charge this amount. It's like that's a very small club. It's a very exclusive club. Um, and, and I'm I, you know like other than. I, I try to think like what from the WWE's perspective, really what, why, why, why? I mean, I know why, but, That's but why. What, what are they gaining, you know, from, from just other than, you know, just to say, Hey, we own you now. You can't have them. Like, do they, are, do you think they'll be using them for those particular weekends? Like I can't see somebody like Kurt Angle having any type of, you know, involvement. Uh, no, th- this is not anything of like prior commitments or anything like that. I mean, it's just simply that these are our assets and we don't want you to have our assets. Mm-hmm. And that's that's ultimately uh, what it comes down to. And I, I think that there's – I think if you're someone like The Undertaker who is ta- – like I'm just you know looking at what this guy is charging. I just feel like some uh, – a bit of the onus is on him too, the fact that you are entering this agreement and not being able to fulfill your, your prior obligations that you signed on for, that your management team coordinated. There's a lot of money at stake. Tickets have gone on sale. And to me, that is – that should be a precedent. Like if WWE wants to sign you, that's fine. They can give you your lucrative contract, but I need to fulfill – what is already publicly announced signings and Q and A's and I've got to finish these. And then I'm your exclusive property after the fact, but it's too late. These are announced tickets have been sold for these. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, it's really unfortunate. I hate when this stuff happens uh, to fans and, uh, and to these promoters as well, who I cannot, I cannot imagine the stress level of trying to coordinate these events. And then you're dealing with this stuff where all of a sudden uh, something like this can drop and it's, the biggest name that's appearing at the convention in The Undertaker. So uh, that's the latest. What else is in the news? Uh, we've got the Raw rating that came out. We were discussing this last night. What would happen uh, over the course of these three hours? Uh, it was their second lowest number this year. They did 2,374,000 viewers. And the show started off with... 2,680,000 viewers. Uh, then it fell big. It fell 14% in the second hour. Then there was another drop of 6.5% in the third hour, which fell down to 2,136,000 viewers. So we found out what is the what is the basement for a show built around Baron Corbin. It's 2,136,000 viewers and a drop of 21% from this week last year. So kind of all in the same pattern that we've been seeing uh, over and over again, only this was uh, a pretty big drop from the last couple of weeks. This is their lowest since the first week of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, projections were going to be that high for a week like this anyway. Um, I, 
I, I feel like this is just kind of what we have to expect for the time being. To me, this is just the new norm. Uh, let's talk a bit about uh, the best of the Super Juniors. They have listed the participants. This is the tournament that will start May 13th, and it's going to run through June 5th. And they've announced uh, 19 of the 20 participants. We have Shingo Takagi, Bandito, Jonathan Gresham, Robbie Eagles, uh, the junior heavyweight champion Dragon Lee, Marty Skrull, Teton, Flip Gordon, Bushi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Takamichinoku, El Desperado, Taiji Ishimori, Will Ospreay, who is uh, back in the junior heavyweight tournament here, Yo and Sho of Rapongi 3K, Rocky Romero, Ryusuke Taguchi, Tiger Mask, and Mystery Man X. Yes, the elusive who, Mystery Man X. Will probably end up being El Fantasma, who they've been running promos for to join the Bullet Club. So I think this is a really... Good lineup. I really love the fact that Jonathan Gresham's in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bandito, I think that's going to really add to the match quality. And, I mean, it's interesting that they're putting Will Ospreay in this, but I think some of that goes to the fact that he is going to be the strongest name in this tournament. And I think that they want then they want this guy who they believe can, can draw on this tour and potentially be in a high-profile match at Sumo Hall, which is a very big building for the finals this year. Absolutely, yeah. Of everybody here, I, I imagine you know the. Uh, I kind of see him uh, headlining the biggest matches on 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 these on these cards. Um, without him, I would definitely say it, it takes uh, a, a real hit in terms of star power. But just even looking at uh, even like the uh, maybe you know taking aside your your uh, Tiger Mass and uh, Ryusuke Taguchi's, you know, okay, Rocky Romero may be one of the weaker as well, but, like, everybody else, I think, is looks awesome. I'm really excited to see what Dragon Lee does. Um, Bandito, of course. Um, I think Shingo Takagi, who we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about on the Bowler review. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that he has a real breakout performance on this thing, too, because he's somebody who I expect to, to be making moves coming out of this. I don't necessarily see Will Ospreay taking it, despite him being, you know, a heavyweight and perhaps being the biggest name. I hope they use the tournament tournament to elevate somebody new, uh, like a Shingo Takagi. Well, they they've played it up really big. Shingo Takagi not losing in any singles matches yet. I, I think that he's going to be probably going to the finals. That would be my guess. Um, mm-hmm. But man, I, I think this tournament looks really solid. When you have, I mean, Ishimori is in there as well. So uh, Tanaka had a great. Uh, best of the Super Juniors last year. Um, yeah, sh- show it could have a really big breakout year. I-, I think Flip Gordon could have a very good tournament. I think he's improved greatly since last year. Yeah. So, and Taguchi usually for the big matches in the Super Juniors, he usually always puts in uh, some very big performances as well. This is the time of the year he kind of does a bunch of serious matches, yeah. and you remember why this guy is really, really good and just kind of hides it throughout most of the year. I know Lager like did his whole kind of like last tournament thing last year, but I, I feel like this would have been really a nice way to go out, don't you think? Like, It would have been a nice little story to throw in there. I always like when they have like the, the older veteran that's there trying to hang with everybody like they did with Yuji Nagata in his final G1. Um, so in this one, I guess you have uh, Takamichinoku maybe. Yeah, or Tiger Mask. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Those are your, uh, your elder statesmen here in this, uh, particular tournament, but I really like the lineup. So that starts May the 13th Viceland. Uh, they put out a, a teaser video for the wrestlers hosted by, uh, this Canadian host named Damien Abraham and announcing that there's going to be 10 episodes that are going to be airing. They have not 
announced when they are going to be released. Uh, but I would presume that it's going to be after the Dark Side of the Ring series wraps up. And yeah, I mean, we we got to see these when they did air in Canada and obviously have talked about them for a, a lot of time. It seems like years now. Uh, but I'm really glad that these are finally going to air. And I think people are really going to dig these if they haven't seen them because it's a very different series from Dark Side of the Ring. But I found it super educational and covering, you know, stuff that is you just wouldn't necessarily expect uh, unless you had a huge budget to be able to travel to some of these places to do in-depth stories with Atsushi Onida and a show on stardom and going to the Democratic Republic of Congo, for instance. Yeah, I was so happy to hear this news, not just because, you know, Damien's a friend of ours, but so that people will be convinced that we weren't just making up this show in our heads and that this show actually exists. Um, I think if there's anything to be said for for the success of Dark Side of the Ring, I mean, for me personally, it's that I feel like that might have had some, you know, role, it play, played some role in this finally uh, getting to see the light of day eventually. Oh, so. I'm, I'm sure it played the role in this airing. Yeah, yeah, and and it's great. Like I, I think Dark Side of the Ring has uh been good. I, 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 I'm, I feel like we're kind of in the groove now where it's going to get really good. So I'm really glad that's existed. But for my money, like I've actually, again, like bias. He's my friend, but at the same time, I've enjoyed this the the wrestlers more uh, in many cases. So. I, I'm really excited for people to see it, in particular uh, with regards to some of the lesser-known aspects of professional wrestling, like um, the the flying chalitas and uh, street wrestling out in Mexico. Also, like the fact that this came out is coming out now at a time like when so many of the featured uh, people on the show are now signed to major companies. Like they got access to guys like you know Ray Phoenix and uh, uh, Mia Yim. Uh, um, you know, um, trying to think, uh, who else that like, even like DDT, you know, a lot of like promotions that I, I feel have kind of become a lot more, uh, well-known now after the fact that, uh, of them shooting the, the series. So I think there's going, going to be far more name recognition for the, for the show debuting now than it might've maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah. I think it's good. It's airing after dark side of the ring and hopefully you've built a bit of an audience that might check this out. Um, because I, do, it's not going to have the same broad appeal that a lot of the the topics have in Dark Side of the Ring. Like you have a lot of, you know, sexy topics like the Montreal screw job, and uh, like it's just a it's a different right. series that I, I think it's you can't it's, expect it to have the same mass appeal that Dark Side of the Ring is clearly aimed at. Yeah, I would say maybe more broad to like a casual audience, but I think for our audience, you know, like again, we're talking about names that that I think are have been getting so much buzz on the indie scenes and, and you know, in Japan and other parts of the world. Like a thing about Onita, whoever thought we would kind of see a documentary in English about him uh on on a, on a produced by Vice. Um so I think they're all topics that might mean more to I would say people who listen to a show like this. I think this one will get uh more critical acclaim as well, even if the audience level isn't at the same as Dark Side of the Ring. I think those that watch it are really going to take a lot away from these episodes. And yeah, I'm really curious to see how uh, people respond to them because it's it's a really well-researched series uh, and different topics. So that's the, the main takeaway there. Uh, and before we get on to SmackDown... Uh, the Crockett Cup, they have announced that Santana Garrett is going to replace Jazz. So that's the match for Saturday with Allison Kay and Santana Garrett for the vacant 
NWA women's title. SmackDown, Tuesday night from Lincoln, Nebraska at the Pinnacle Bank Arena. Um, We started off with Shane McMahon coming out and got Greg Hamilton to do his introduction. And Shane is here to talk about Roman Reigns and what he did to his father last week. And he asks, how can someone hit another man's father like that? And he just moved on. And it wasn't the usual WWE where someone had to scream at us what he was talking about. They just let the line sink and everyone understood what he meant. And I thought it was a really uh, clever line to throw in there. I thought so, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, Graves did eventually call it out. But but like you said, it wasn't really hitting you over the head with with the irony in, in him saying a line like that. He said his father is a national treasure. And what Reigns did last week was like disgracing the American flag or defacing Round Mushmore. Round Rushmore. Hmm. I haven't visited that one. No, no. I don't know if you could deface Round Mushmore. Uh, there will be repercussions, he says, for Roman Reigns. And he asks the fans, what should he do? Should he fine him, suspend him, or fire him? And then he demands that Roman comes out and Reigns is out. The crowd is cheering for him. Reigns isn't going to talk with him. He just tosses the microphone away. So I'm wondering, after the, the Dean Ambrose farewell where Reigns wouldn't talk, is, is Roman a mute now? Um, I, I guess he would, talk la- he would talk later in this episode. Yeah, he does talk, but he's he, maybe they, they feel that this is a new way of daring him to the audience. Maybe they feel like, oh, he's, he talks too much. That's why people don't like him. We're going to have him talk less. Oh, maybe maybe it'll work. So he has a standoff with Shane, and then Elias runs from behind to distract Reigns and allow Shane to attack Reigns, who fights back. Elias gets involved again. The crowd is chanting Roman. They're behind him here. They were very smart the way they laid, laid out this segment, and it ended with Elias hitting the drift away to Reigns, and afterwards Shane and Elias were celebrating in the back, and Shane was sweating up a storm from this talking segment. Oh yeah. He's a sweater, man. Yeah. Um, the audience was pretty hot here for Roman reigns. So, um, I thought the direction they were going is Roman and Shane, which I imagine is the ultimate direction. And this is how they're going to keep Roman away from the title picture. Um, and pair him with a McMahon. Oh, he has a way better prize than the championship. He gets a match with Shane McMahon. Um, and and that's well, the bigger match that they're obviously building to. Like that could be SummerSlam for all we know. Yeah, definitely. Or uh, it could be Saudi Arabia. I suppose that's true. They could do it then. Yeah, yep. but I I do find it pretty amusing how they continue to treat Shane as like this kind of like super boss with a regular performer in Elias essentially kind of being his his heater. So um, that's the direction they're going. And you know what? I don't even really hate it. I think. A Shane McMahon-Roman Reigns match could potentially be somewhat interesting. You know a Shane McMahon match brings a lot of bells and whistles. So it could be the type of match that Roman Reigns with, you know, pretty, I would say, typical kind of predictable offense at this point. He could benefit from it. So um, it'll be... I, I'm more I'm more in that direction than I am Reigns and Elias for oh, the next that'll be weeks. terrible. I think that'll be awful. But... Well, it's, and it's a month away. Yeah. So it's um yeah, I I think that it's it's a keep busy program for Reigns and it keeps him I mean this really this was a very good crowd on Tuesday night I thought. I mean they were pretty heated throughout. 
as they maintain the Kofi Kings, uh, Kofi Mania run right now, I, I mean, there's really no place for Roman near the title picture uh, at right now, as long as Kofi has it. I just don't even see, unless you turn Roman heel, how that program would ever work, even if you wanted to peak it for something like a SummerSlam. So I imagine they completely stay away from each other as long as Kofi has the belt. Um, I, I'm still getting used to seeing Roman on SmackDown. Something about maybe this segment appearing the way it was with, you know, Roman facing off against a McMahon and then Elias of all people coming out just made it suddenly feel like I was back to watching the Monday show, you know? And I know that's going to be the case, uh, especially when you lift like multiple members of a roster directly from one show to another. But at the same time, I was like, I kind of miss SmackDown, like the SmackDown that I had, you know, I was perfectly happy with it. Now, instead, I'm getting like essentially the opening segment for Monday now on Tuesdays as well. What do you think about the idea that for the next two or three weeks, it's these two getting the upper hand on Roman Reigns and then Reigns is able to uh, somehow get Shane McMahon banned from ringside at Money in the Bank. So Elias is stuck one on one and then coming out through the crowd is Shane McMahon under a mask with a violent gentleman's hoodie. Um, and he, he comes in and he gives a GTS to Roman Reigns, the best in the world, Shane McMahon. Yeah, I don't really see them doing that one. Um, no mask chain for you. No, I don't think. I don't think they will touch that one. I I wonder. No. Kayla was in the back with Kofi Kingston. He's yelling that he's the champion. Xavier Woods entered the shot. He said everything is right with the world and that their honorary New Day member until Big E comes back, Kevin Owens. And when they said that line, I said, well, this is really great. You're going you're gonna to build up this relationship. And then when Big E comes out, uh, when he returns, they're going to have to make him a, a non-member. And I was like, yeah, that's, this could be really good for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then they did a New Day Rocks chant. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll do you, should we do you want to talk about it now or, or later? Uh we'll get to it. We'll get okay. to it. Uh then um I had did you have the problem with the Sportsnet feed for this next match? Um no, I don't think so. Oh, because on mine it it replayed uh, Raw from last Monday during the Superstar Shakeup. <laughs> we just went back as if nothing had changed in eight days, and we got Finn Balor versus Andrade uh, to start this program. Listen, I don't. I, I <laughs> very well done. I but come on, they had to go back to this. They had to go back. I mean, clearly something was being built to last. Okay, week. that's fine. I, I'm all for this program, and this is a great match. But I needed something more than. Quote, the superstar shakeup continues tonight, and Andrade is back on SmackDown Live. Oh, yeah. That was the explanation. Nothing else. There was nothing like Andrade protested after pinning the champion that he wanted his chance to go after this title. That Like, anything. Just give me anything instead of just... I tune in, and I'm told, oh, the superstar shakeup continues. Andrade's back. Remember him? That was it. It was like a line in passing. Definitely this shakeup, I feel, has it's been glaring how kind of like last minute and how uh, how much has has changed just um, even after things were supposedly finalized. 
I feel like they're just going to like look at these two weeks as like you know as something you'll probably just have to forget eventually. Survivor Series, I'm going to hate even more this year. Every year, I, d- oh, I don't man. think I can hate it more. The brand versus brand. How do you but do it, that now? Now that it's like all the McMahon's that are well, it's it's all the McMahon's running both shows, and no one cares that they're on either brand. No one's upset they're going to Raw. They're going to SmackDown. Everyone's happy. And then come November, we've got to do this stupid concept that it doesn't matter. It's too bad because I think the concept in theory really could and should work. You know, um, if you like and what what kind of gets to me the most is the fact that like people changing brands is actually like a big deal for these people that are employed by this company. Um, WWE released another day of video that uh, uh, I believe his name is Giancarlo uh, DeTamo. Sorry if I'm butchering his name, but he's actually yeah, the, guy the, who the guy who did the the Janella Joey Janella videos. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So he 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 does a lot of the the day of stuff and he he captured a lot of great footage of just like people like Liv Morgan hearing about the news that she was going to have to move brains to be split up uh, from the Riot squad. And if you know anything about how close those 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 three are, uh obviously this is something that's incredibly emotional, not just because of storyline but because they they travel together. They like remember that AJ Styles video when like he found out that that uh he was going to be separated from Gallows and Anderson. That stuff is real. That stuff is genuine. And I feel like it's such a missed opportunity that the Could body- you imagine if, like, we got the show to, like, that level where, like, th- you're completely right. Like, this actually is a big deal for these people that are changing their entire work schedules to different different nights. They're leaving their, their, their partners on the road. It's totally uh, changing their, their work life. And... Yes. When you catch that stuff, that's the stuff that people truly react to. And look at how the Riot Squad was was split up. Like, there was no emotion on television. Oh, my God. And yet it was a very real breakup for those three. I'm sure, I, like, uh, that would be really captivating television. Unfortunately, with the way they do TV, I mean, they, they don't really kind of haven't accounted for this. But I would say even a fabricated version of a story like that. Oh my God! They drafted me here. I don't know anybody here. Like you know, I'm, I'm broken up from my tag team partner. What do I do? Some semblance of, of I think those types of emotions would add way more to something like the superstar shakeup rather than just you know interchangeable bodies. Let's continue as if nothing happened. It's one of the things that kind of drives me nuts when we do talk about television viewership, and to some, it's just. All you hear are excuses or blah, 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 blah. And like you're missing such an opportunity that when you're in a situation like this, it opens your mind that, okay, if we can acknowledge something is not connecting like it used to, that is the opportunity to have more leeway to try things. Like this is obviously not working. So can we at least just get some leeway to try something different? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But clearly – what we've been doing for so long, this presentation, is not working as effectively as it once was. And you could – when you're in a situation like this, I think you can take more chances and you can be less risk averse. Yeah, it's so true. But you know what, man? At the same time, if if like the guy in charge changes his mind like four hours or however many hours before the show, man. It's, it's incredibly frustrating. How do you plan for stories, bigger stories like that? You know? Uh, Finn Balor and and Andrade. Um, 
right before the match, Byron Saxton is going on about something, and Graves tells him that he's been hanging out on Route Mushmore. You just mentioned that. Oh, so the, the, oh yeah, Graves brought it up again. <laughs> yes. So he was not letting that one slide, even if it was Shane McMahon. Uh, Andrade and Vega did a promo backstage. He said he wants the Intercontinental title and to destroy the myth of Finn Balor. Andrade hit a uh, spinning dive to the floor. They went through the commercial. Balor dropped Andrade, climbed to the top. He gets stopped. And then Andrade is sent to the floor. And Balor hits a Topicon hero. Audience is very hot here. Uh, Andrade comes back with the double knees in the corner. And then Zelina Vega jumps off the top, gets caught by Andrade when she misses Balor. And then Balor knocks down Andrade to hit the coup de grace for the win at 741. Big pop for the finish. Uh, Yeah, these two picked up right where they left off last week on Raw. Picked up right where they left off. And and again, I thought they had a great match. SmackDown continues just to be a tremendous fit for Finn Balor. I'm excited, like especially in this mid-card tier where I think he'll be in the mix with, you know, um, like just the, the workhorses of the company. So I I think I'm really excited to see like what what he'll he'll do in in this kind of a uh, what does he have now the US or the IC he's got the IC right I, I'm excited to see who what opponents he faces in this run um, I don't exactly kind of know what this means though for Andrade because right now they just went fifty fifty does I mean there's no program here is is what this kind of tells me oh Andrade beat him now Balor beat him yeah it's every WWE feud. But then, who like, loses less is the winner of the feud. But after this, like, there's no need for Andrade to challenge for a title. They've just kind of extinguished it. Well, he'll win. He'll win now next week. Maybe, maybe. Um, do you think that Andrade, you know, now being back on SmackDown, not necessarily having kind of like the freshness of being on a new brand, do you think that they continue a push for him, or 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 will this stall him at all? Um, I, I think he's gonna find himself in the same place he was before i don't i don't imagine him being a big breakout star but who knows i mean they are having him speak more yep and he's with an opponent that he can get over with uh granted he had Rey mysterio as well which is maybe the best opponent to get over with as well and uh we we, we kind of saw that led him to a battle royal at wrestlemania elias was in the back sitting on a car and started playing his guitar and sang his challenge for roman reigns at money in the bank Shane popped in saying the song's awesome, and they took off in the car. Yeah. So this is Shane's new guy. Yeah, so he's the chicken shit who is hiding behind Elias and ultimately, you know, um, wanting to avoid getting beaten up by Roman. Maybe Shane's going to form a band. What would he? Oh, I know what he would play the triangle. Oh, I love it. Maybe the inverted triangle. Yes. Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville were with Paige earlier in the day. Rose said that they are now out of Paige's league and Paige shouldn't come calling on them when the Oscar Kyrie Sane uh, experiment blows up in her face. So Peyton Royce. The social experiment? Uh, Yes. Uh, Peyton Royce and Kyrie Sane were set to have a singles match. The Iconics come out. Billy Kay confuses Paige with Nick Fury, and instead of Thor and Captain America, they gave us Asuka and Carrie Sane. But they're not superheroes, they're super lamos. They continued to, <laughs> to butcher Kyrie's name, uh, and Royce explained that last week when she lost, she was not warmed up, 
She was not properly hydrated, and the element of surprise caught her. But this week, Royce drank a gallon of water before the match with Kyrie Sane. I think they're great. I think the Iconics are, are, are tremendous. They're very entertaining. Just not the vision I have of champions, you know? Like, especially when you're trying to build a, a tag team division and, and trying to build belts as, like, something to really kind of strive for, you know? Um, I don't necessarily love having, like, the belts on a comedy team who loses every match. Well, Sane hit uh, the interceptor. Then Royce was in the corner and took a... Uh, a sliding D and the insane elbow and Carrie Sane pinned her in a minute 36 and the Iconics continue their losing streak since winning the titles doing wonders. Yeah. It was a good brief showcase for Sane's first singles match. I think a squash actually like helps her. It's kind of really all she needs. We know Kyrie Sane's a great singles wrestler. We know Asuka's a great singles wrestler. I, I do await to see what type of chemistry they have as a tag team. Uh, at more than, you know, what we saw in that three-way or or was it a tag team? I don't remember last week. But in particular, I'm more even cu- uh, curious as to see what Paige really offers to the group because I would say like two weeks in, especially if you watch like some of their dot-com stuff, they really do kind of just feel like a team that that was just put together like 20 minutes before they went out on stage last week. Yeah, no, no real speaking for Paige yet uh, this early into things. I guess the question now is with all these losses, it's that who who gets this title match? Uh because at least Kyrie Sane is a partner, unlike Naomi. I'm guessing they will both get their turns, right? Maybe Naomi Oh, are the Iconics gonna have multiple matches at the pay per view as well? Well, I mean multiple shows, I suppose, but it seems like uh Asuka and Sane are a bit more well wait a second, Asuka and Sane have what is it, uh, Rose and Deville first. So that means Naomi can face them first? But they just pin the champions here. You would think that would... Uh, why would they go after DeVille and Rose? Um, well, They've got momentum. Uh, they're going alphabetically. Oh, okay. Uh, then Rose and DeVille came out. Uh, but then Jinder and the Sings came out, and that ended the segment. And... Uh, apparently, uh, Mojo Raleigh has been evicted from his dark room by Alistair Black, who has now taken it over. He sits down, and he asks if they know what he is, and says the aesthetic of the persona should not evoke any judgmental reactions, but it does. And he cannot explain the complexity of his tragic character, but to give it time, and the world you grew up in will have him condemned. This is a very hard promo to recap for me. I'm gonna. Tell, so, I had to watch this promo twice. I look for again. I, I I feel like you found your new TJP in in Alistair Black. The thing is, like he's. It sounds way cooler when he does it. Like so. I what are you saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying I don't have any issues with it when he does it himself. In particular, this one. I I actually like it. I liked some final finally some character development for this guy. He's. These come across way better. His promo style comes across way better when he's not in the same frame as Ricochet, who just does not mesh uh, in terms of character with the, with the, with the guy. This was simple. It was dark. It was mysterious. And my favorite part, he did not say fade to black at the very end. Oh my god! Could you have imagined? Or that 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 creaking sound effect is how he sits down and you hear him for his entrance. The sound effect. 
Oh, at the beginning of this? No. Yeah, that, no, that's... this could very well like verge on. He could have ri- he could have risen up on the backboard, especially with like the way the dialogue seems to be written. Like you 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 greatly kind of illustrated. This could very well verge on being like cheesy and corny, but I I don't think it was. I thought it was kept very simple and, and mysterious. Within six months, is he appearing in the Firefly Funhouse? Um, could be his first opponent, perhaps. Uh, within six months, that's a long time, so I would probably say yes. Jinder Mahal versus Chad Gable never started because Gable got jumped from behind by Lars Sullivan, who ran him into the post. He chased Jinder away and then grabbed Samir, hit him with the freak accident, and then a running powerbomb to Sunil. Then R-Truth came out, attacking Sullivan. He was caught, driven to the mat, and hit him with a running sit-out powerbomb. Yeah, just feeding everybody to Lars Sullivan. Um... You know, a lot of collateral damage here in this segment. But look look what the damage is. You know, it's Jinder Mahal who really at this point really has no value. It's the Sings, obviously. Uh, Truth, I think, you know, has always just kind of been at that level. He doesn't lose anything. The, the, the one person I guess I would say, you know, it's sort of a shame for is Chad Gable, who going through another kind of roster change kind of has, you know, a bit of a freshness attached to him, but clearly not a priority right now. And again, didn't have a mustache. That's what he, maybe this will be the, the reason why he would grow one, but doesn't seem like to be any real plan for Chad Gable right now. Uh, and I'm fine with it because you already have so many other projects on SmackDown, including Lars Sullivan. Reigns was in the locker room. Kayla asked if he accepted. He says he does, and he's going to break Elias's jaw at money in the bank and he will never sing again. Yeah. Ever. You could hum the broken jaw, but yeah, yeah. wouldn't you go for like a vocal cord or a throat like a tra- punch. trachea? Yeah, a su- a Superman punch to the throat. I think that should be the ankle. Like he, that's his target for the whole match. It actually would be a great gimmick if Elias comes out of that pay per view and he can't talk for an extended period of time. That'd be great, actually. And he has to like teach himself the harmonica or something like that that doesn't require singing. And, yeah. he, and he's just, he doesn't say a word for three months. I think that'd be awesome. I mean, I think it would actually help Elias. It would make him very entertaining having to, you know, try to do his performances with the damaged uh, vocal cord. Oh, he would, he could take a cane voice box. Oh, that would be great. And do his songs. Yeah. No, I want... one, no one is allowed to talk with Elias. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I really want that to happen. I mean, it would certainly add interest to this match. Imagine like... Roman vows to Superman punch Elias in the throat. And all match, like, he comes close, avoids it, avoids it, and in the final sequence, he nails him. How satisfying would that be? It's a great idea. It could be something to salvage uh, a a Roman Reigns-Elias feud that we're going to get for the next month. Then Charlotte comes out. She recapped the WrestleMania main event. She said it featured three of the best in the business who all went head-to-head and Becky pinned Ronda, not her. And it was Rousey that lost Charlotte's championship. Becky never beat her for the SmackDown women's title, and she calls out Becky. Becky comes out, and she asks Charlotte if she understands what winner-take-all meant. She beat the woman that Charlotte could not beat, and Becky says, I've beaten you so many times, it didn't matter to me. I wanted to beat Ronda Rousey. Charlotte thinks that she's in Becky's head, and sees her every time Lacey Evans attacks Becky. Becky brings up Charlotte's losing streak. Charlotte says she has nothing to lose and suggests that 
she face her after her Money in the Bank match with Lacey Evans. They start screaming over one another, and Charlotte says that she needs to... Uh, Becky says that Charlotte needs to clear the way so that more new and fresh challengers can go after her belt. This prompts Bailey to come out, and she talks about the fresh start after the shakeup, yet she's watching a rerun here between these two and mentions that Becky has never beaten her. Charlotte says it's still her show, and then Bailey challenged Charlotte and smacks the microphone out of Charlotte's hands. Yeah. I really like the segment. I thought most apparent to me watching this coming off of Monday was the difference in chemistry between Becky and an opponent like Charlotte versus somebody like Lacey Evans. This felt like the Becky Lynch type of promo that I've been missing for a while now. Um, I love like, you know, the little kind of subtle work shoot things that she brings out here, like uh, attacking Charlotte for holding other people in the division back because, you know, whatever work shoot or not. I mean, it's all believable, at least, you know, it it plays off the narrative that this audience has already created uh, with their opinion of Charlotte anyway. So uh, I thought this was kind of more, you know, uh, back to form for Becky Lynch. I thought the addition of Bailey into the mix too was was also great, and I thought Bailey did really well here, c- coming back with a bit of a mean streak attached to her. I like the promo a lot. It was a good segment with both. Uh, yeah, um, noticeably better than uh, what we've been seeing from Becky on on Raw of late, and that turned into Charlotte and Bailey. And Charlotte went after Bailey's knee, was weakening it. They came back from break. Charlotte went for a moonsault and then went to land on her feet, but kind of crashed onto Bailey upon landing and then took this big belly to back suplex uh, where it just looked like she got rocked as she got sent down to the mat. Bailey's in control, did a sunset flip dive, sending Charlotte into the turnbuckle. And then Charlotte takes out her leg, goes to the figure four. Bailey counters with a cradle for a big two count. And then Charlotte is up, hits the spear and pins Bailey. Uh, I thought another good match on this show. I like the match a lot, actually. I, I found myself kind of more more uh, interested in this one, especially with like the outcome and also the freshness of a match like this because we hadn't seen these two wrestle in such a long time uh, than, than I was for any other TV match on Raw or SmackDown this week. It, it, to me, like though, I, I wouldn't have made this an impromptu match. I think any meeting between two of the horsewomen, especially two of them who have been away from each other for so long, like Bailey and Charlotte, should be treated as a marquee match. I would... I would have at least like saved this for one week, but maybe they need to get this out of the way quickly to tell the rest of that story. I don't know. But they have great chemistry together. Charlotte is is excellent. More than, to me, deserving of her push because she really is just fantastic in ring. Very good on Mike. Um, and back to ba- Becky versus Charlotte. What do you think of that? Yeah, they're going to do... They did the promo in the back with Becky where she said that holding both belts means doing double duty, so she's going to face Lacey Evans, and then she's going to face Charlotte Flair at Money in the Bank. Um, So I I could see many scenarios here. I could see Becky losing one and keeping one. I could also see her defending both, and then she's prone to be uh, have the winner of the Money in the Bank cash in on her when she's had these two big matches already in the night. So I think there's many different options you can go if you want to get one of those titles off of Becky, which I think is maybe the likely scenario. She keeps one and loses one. Yeah, I would say very good chance she at least loses one of them. And I would probably say the SmackDown belt more likely because it tells me that Becky would be exclusive to Raw where I think she's needed far more. Um, I also 
could see Charlotte just winning the, the the match so that she gets the belt back on SmackDown. Maybe you have the Money in the Bank winner just kind of keep it a little longer throughout the, the, the course of the year. Yeah, it just seems like such a... I would if you're gonna take it off her, I'd almost like to see them go a different direction with somebody. Um, but you got to look at who who there is to you know who can chase and who can hold the belt for somebody to chase on the SmackDown side, other than Charlotte. It's also worth noting on Monday uh, they're going to be announcing the Raw participants for both the men's and women's ladder matches at Money in the Bank, and I think it'll be very noticeable uh, if Sasha Banks is not announced. Because you would assume she would be one of the participants in the ladder match. Maybe she'll be announced as X. <laughs> that might be what they do. Yes. Yeah. Um, so At this anyway. point, you might as well save her a return for like a big surprise if she's coming back. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the hope was she would be on that, that show. And yeah, you would think it would be the ladder match unless they have some other idea for her. But this was a very good match. And... I'm not crazy that they're going back to Becky Charlotte so quickly, but it should be a really like between this and AJ and Rollins and the ladder matches. I mean, this should be a very good show next month. Yeah. The ladder matches are always very interesting to me. And I think the AJ versus Seth to me is, is a big, you know, great marquee title match uh, and everything else. I could just be like, whatever. Uh, they re they re aired the Firefly Funhouse promo from Monday. And then Owens does the New Day's intro from backstage, and that sets up Kofi Kingston, Shinsuke Nakamura, non-title. Uh, I thought the highlight, though, was Kevin Owens and Xavier Woods. They got their own commentary table, and they intermittently cut over to them. And at one point, Graves just said, let's just leave it on them for the whole <laughs> match. I'm done. Uh, man, I, I just in, in recapping all of this, I felt there was like three months of material between Kevin Owens and the New Day, and I understood that Obviously, they had their idea in mind for a Money in the Bank match, but I just think you could have built this up for a lot longer between New Day and Kevin Owens. You're probably right. You know, like, look at what they did with Jericho and Owens. You know, how long they they managed to drag that out. I'm sure if they needed to, they could have dragged this out far longer. Um, But they needed a match. Like, they needed a next program for Kofi. Um. And would which, make... which we can we can mention now again. No Daniel Bryan on this show. Didn't do the dark match, so mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't have any update on him either. But I I think that's that's pretty noticeable now that it's been three TVs in a row. He's not been present for. Yeah. Now in terms of like character motivation, would it make sense for Owens to be like chummy with these guys for as long as he was before doing a turn? Oh, if it was always the grand plan, yeah, I don't see any problem with that. That's just a typical heel tactic um that you infiltrate these guys get in and find out uh he's already in in. these guys are already vulnerable well i'm saying you you could you could uh catch these guys that they're what once they've they've really let him into the fraternity i mean how much could he have learned from these guys in a week Uh, i think he ate all these pancakes for nothing he knows how to do their intro pretty well uh, in terms of the actual match, uh, Nakamura had Rusev and Lana in his corner, including Rusev decked out in a suit. Yeah. Well, he knew he, was, he wasn't wrestling on this show. Yeah, so why be in your gear? I mean, it looked, it looked uh, pretty stylish in the suit. I think it works for him. Yeah. Nakamura attempted a triangle. Kingston got out, splashed him on his back as Nakamura was leaned over, and then Nakamura hit him with a knee strike off the apron. That took us through the commercial. 
Uh, Woods on commentary says it's time for Nakamura's comeback uh, and Owens or sorry for Kingston's comeback. And Owens is hoping that he'll do the thing where he hits himself in the ribs. Uh, I thought they were very funny together. Uh, There was a snap German by Nakamura off the middle rope. Then Kingston fires up, misses the trouble in paradise and goes to hit the SOS. And after doing so, Rusev runs in. The DQ is called and then Woods and Owens run in. They clear the ring. Owens back body drops Woods onto Rusev on the floor. But after he lands, Nakamura hits Woods with the Kinshasa. So Woods is taken out and Kingston proceeds to hit Nakamura with a trouble in paradise. And immediately Kevin Owens super kicks Kofi. A lot of heat for this. He tears off the New Day shirt. He has his own underneath. And he attacks Kingston. He stomps him. He stares at the title. Asks Kingston if he thinks this is his. And he hopes his kids had a good time. Because he's now coming to take this title. Kingston tried to fire back. But he got stomped down further in the corner. And then he went for the apron bomb to Kofi. But Xavier Woods makes the valiant comeback. Tries to stop Kevin Owens who clotheslines Woods, and it's Xavier that takes the apron bomb to end the show as Kofi is left uh, broken. That mm-hmm. Kevin Owens, his long, close, personal friend of seven <laughs> days, did this heinous act in front of the world on television. Um, yeah. The turn was fine. I just think that there would be so much more emotion attached to this if you let people really get into this friendship and it meant something to people. But... That was obviously not in the cards because we've got a pay-per-view in four weeks. Right, yeah. I'm personally not so upset that they didn't go longer with this because I I was perfectly surprised. And, I mean, they totally got me. I didn't expect the turn to happen uh, this soon. I would say if if this was carried on a little longer, I think I would have expected it more. But because, like, Owens as a babyface is still so relatively fresh... I thought I was a little surprised that they they would kind of do the turn so soon. And I think, to me, my reaction was the better for that surprise. Um, I I thought, obviously, you know, very wise to do it this week instead of in Montreal, where he was not going to get booed. In fact, it, you probably would have had Kofi get booed if this were to happen last week. And I like the story already. I don't even really know specifically what the beats are. But just seeing how Kevin Owens you know, was supposed to be a guy who was supposed to have a role at WrestleMania, could have had a role at WrestleMania, did not appear on that show at all. Instead, due to this, you know, uh, incredible thing called Kofi Mania, you could imagine a great deal of bitterness in the character, uh, you know, uh, storyline or or real life. So I, I, I think the story's already there. I loved how he wanted to powerbomb Kofi, but instead Woods gave himself... And essentially kind of took the powerbomb onto the apron for Kofi Kingston. Now, if the storyline comes out after this, that Woods is gone and Kofi all of a sudden now, after achieving the greatest thing in his career with the help of his friends, no longer has Woods by his side, no longer has Big E by, by his side and has to face this guy, uh, Kevin Owens himself. I'm already in like they've already hooked me. I think it's a great follow up to Kofi mania. And I think Kevin Owens, I mean, we know how great of a heel he is. So I think. Like, I'm always so impressed how he can go from comedy, like, for, for a couple weeks, comedy for, like, months, and then on the, on the switch of a, of a, of a, of a, of a button, like, b- become just, like, you know, Thanos-level type of villain. So, uh, I'm looking forward to this program a lot. 
Yeah, so I, I think you have a lot of uh, promo material for Kevin Owens, and I think that's going to be the strength of this uh, buildup over the over the next month. So Money in the Bank is looking very good on paper, I think. Yeah, and I think it's so important that Kofi Kingston has a strong opponent. Like, so often we talk about, you know, like what's left for the underdog babyface after they achieve their goal. Like, is, is, are they still compelling after, the, you know, the underdog has finally kind of won his prize? Um, and I think the key to that is to have a great, opponent who poses an extra threat and I, I i think at least for the first week of this kevin owens turn it has the potential to live up as to to you know um the standard that i think the daniel Bryan feud has set yeah so I, I thought this was a very good episode of smackdown i enjoyed this a lot i like the programs and directions that they're going in uh, i thought that there were several very good matches um uh main event really didn't uh hit me at the level of the others. It was more so for the post-match angle. Um, Mm -hmm. Kingston and Nakamura was kind of just there for me, but man, I really enjoyed Charlotte Bailey and I really enjoyed Balor and Andrade. So overall, very good episode of SmackDown. Yeah, I agree. Let's go to the forum, forum forum.postwrestling.com. You can always leave your feedback after Raw and SmackDown. And on a scale of one to 10 way, where did you go? I go about 7.2. The average from the forum was a 6.38. It's a little lower. Paul from New Jersey writes, Becky's promo tonight was the best since winning the two belts. Charlotte and Bailey were very good as well. Don't know what to think about the Bray thing, but I'm intrigued. The Iconics title run so far is 0-4 as Peyton Royce gets squashed. Trash the titles. Kevin Owens is fantastic. We got a test from Oklahoma City who says the Charlotte Bailey match was really fun to watch. I sort of hate that Charlotte is getting a money in the bank title match, but at the same time, if she wins the SmackDown Women's title, I think it sets up for a nice feud with Bailey. I hope so too, Tess, but man, like, um, I guess Bailey would have to kind of re earn her, her belt. Like, I would have kept those two maybe a little bit farther apart, but anyway, she says, uh, it also keeps Charlotte out of the money in the bank ladder match which given the roster will almost assuredly have a winner from SmackDown. So I actually don't mind this decision and we got a good match tonight. What the hell is going on with the SmackDown tag? Are we ever going to see the Hardys defend the belts they acquired? Why can't the Iconics win a damn match? If the point was to put the titles on Absolution or Kyrie and Asuka, then it seems, as it seems, why have them win at WrestleMania? They're proving everyone right who was pissed that the Iconics won the belts in the first place. Why can't we get Tyler Breeze? (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, we can go in order there. Um, yeah. there. There was a report out over the weekend that Jeff Hardy uh, suffered some kind of injury at the house show, but I don't know to the extent of that. So that could be uh, preventing any kind of a uh, program at the moment with the Hardys. And man, there, there are a lot of injuries going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think the Iconics, I'm, I wasn't a fan of them putting the titles on them. I think that this act is no more over with the titles and it only kind of takes away fr- that the titles you were positioning them very strongly uh, with Sasha and Bailey. And I, I don't think, I, I don't think the iconics are hurt one bit by not having those titles. How great would that feud be right now? If Sasha and Bailey had kept the belts, you know, if they were going to be paired up with Oscar and, and, and Kyrie Sane, uh, or even on, on raw against Naomi and whoever, you know, what would have been kind of cool that you could have, kind of done this split but in in a bit of a unique way is they're promoting the fact that even tag teams can be broken up no one is safe in the superstar shakeup they said that over and over that Sasha and Bailey are split on brands but 
they get to stay together as long as they have these championships. And it gives you something added in all of their matches, knowing that the moment they lose these titles, they are split up. And I think that you could have, if if your idea was we are going to split them, you could have got some, I think you could have got like a good month out of, out of that as well, where their title matches mean a bit more because you people are more attached to the team than they are the titles. And you could have done something like that as well with the two of them. And it probably would have kept the two of them happy and on television as well. It would take like, you know, just a tiny bit of a caveat for them to explain with regards to other tag teams like the Usos, you know, who or, or, or other tag team champions that just seem to move. But I think that is a brilliant idea and would have made for some tremendous storytelling. Like you kind of have the equivalent now of something like a retirement stip without actually being any anybody's retirement. Instead, this if this team loses, they break up for the foreseeable future. I, I think that that would have been great. Uh, let us continue here. Uh, Jesse from the six. What the hell was Mike Babcock thinking playing the fourth and third line so much? Matthews had one shift in a four minute span in the third period and the Leafs are down three one. Why do Jake Gardner and Anderson always have poor game sevens? And just why was Nylander trying, trying to do on that empty net goal? The Leafs are just like the WWE, actually a formerly great organization that has underperformed for decades, but succeeds financially thanks to a handful of wealthy supporters. Go Raptors. I mean, I suppose the difference is um, the WWE didn't have their last great success in 1967. Wow. Yeah. Some harsh realities coming from Whiten. Okay. We go to Rob who says, Really fun show tonight. Way better than Raw. I figured they would get the SmackDown belt off of Becky soon. WWE struggles with complexity and has no idea how to book a dominant champion on both brands. If she loses the SmackDown title, I would choose Bailey or Ember and not go to the Charlotte Well so soon. Good matches overall and the Shane Elias pairing is fresh. KO's turn was masterful. He is such a natural heel and him and Kofi will have great matches. The fact they pulled the trigger on KO, KO's heel turn suggests Brian isn't coming back soon. Brian was the number one heel, then Orton. The fact that they turned and promoted Owens this early suggests that Brian may not be back for a while, if at all. What do you guys think? Um, don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's know. it's it's kind of hard to say, really, knowing that um, we don't really know what the issue is, so it's kind of hard to speculate on on what it can mean moving forward, but. I would imagine that, you know, they obviously weren't aware at the time that they wouldn't have Brian for this time. And I'm sure that's kind of uh, sped up the process of Kevin Owens being put into this role, um, that maybe it was something that they were thinking we could get a Kofi Brian uh, extended feud for like the next month. And we'd get to Kevin Owens as more of a summer program. Uh, And just by necessity, they've had to speed that up because they're very low on heels now. It was either Kevin Owens or Randy Orton. Those were their options. Mm hmm. Brad writes in uh, from Halifax, had a 12-hour day at work and thought I would end it by watching a little wrestling. It was worth staying up for for the Finn versus Andrade match. Great match, but weird ending. Why have them trade wins? Kofi and Shinsuke was good, but the champ can't beat Shinsuke? Is there a rule that people can't win two matches in a row anymore in WWE? Why is it so hard just to have people win in a lot, win a lot in a row and some people lose? Then when the people that win for a while finally lose, it's actually a big deal. John and Way. Why are there no tag teams on the show tonight? Was there a tag match last week? If not, is there a reason the tag teams aren't on SmackDown? 
way. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, the iconics are are a tag team, uh, but I gu- I'm guessing he means the men's divisions. I think a big part of that is because of the Hardy's absence right now. So until maybe we have a bit more clarity about that, there's really no no room to promote a tag team match at, at Money in the Bank, like a tag team title match. I mean, this is the show we always talk about the fact that I mean, it's two hour show. It's really it's like 92 minutes of content, roughly. Uh, so it's they have all the storylines that they have to focus on. That's it. There isn't a tag program happening right now. So uh, and if and if Jeff Hardy may not have been available, I mean, that kind of eliminates your your a program for the tag teams. Yeah, we got a Nick from New Jersey who says the Becky Charlotte exchange was just brutal. They were constantly talking over each other and someone will have to explain to me what Charlotte's worst winning streak is. <laughs> yeah, that Charlotte is, uh, corrected her like right after she said the your worst winning streak. It said, "Yes, it's been my uh, worst losing streak." Worst winning streak. But <laughs> best part of the show was KO going back to who he is. I'm glad they didn't slow turn him. SmackDown desperately needed to top heel and I look forward to him against Kofi. All right. Uh let us continue to Matt. Got the care package today. So sick as I live in Canada and got the high chew. Have to go to my mom's to get a tape player from the garage. Very stoked. Thank you both. Way, who is your Baron Corbin of SmackDown Live? Well, first, Matt in the 604, I'm really glad to hear about that. And I, I, I thank everybody who, who sent photos or videos from their care packages. Um, high chew or not. Uh, high chew is actually readily available pretty much worldwide. So don't, don't be too disappointed. My Baron Corbin of SmackDown Live, as in, like, who gets my blood pressure so low or so high that I have to be concerned? Um, it would be Elias, probably. But he hasn't had too big of a role yet. Give him time. All right, we go to Steve from Virginia Beach, who says, I wish when they bring out the New Day commentary table, I could just hit the SAP button and listen to the New Day commentary during that match instead of the English broadcast team going back for bits and pieces. No disrespect to Carlos Cabrera and Hugo Savinovich. Uh, I don't know if... Is Hugo still on the team? No, no, they're not the the Spanish announced team any longer. Anyway, he says, I switched over for some KO commentary and was sadly disappointed. Uh, Prakash from Michigan. I was getting pretty disappointed as a whole by tonight's SmackDown until the final five minutes. The heel turn was what I was waiting for. Owens is such a natural heel that he is simply wasted as a babyface. He can be a tweener, but he cannot pull off a fun-loving, jovial babyface. I disagree. I think he was great in this, you know, faux babyface role. Uh, I'm now pretty invested on the KO Kofi feud. I have high expectations. I'm also invested in the new Bray Wyatt character because I'm pretty sure there is a dark twist coming. I am not invested in the Roman Reigns feud or Becky Charlotte being revisited. As much as I like Charlotte, I'm tired of seeing her and Becky in a program together. And what is WWE doing with the Iconics? I can see they are not legit championship material, but at least have them win most of their matches by cheating. They have lost every match since winning the belts. I was going to give tonight's episode a score of four, but after the closing sequence, I'm giving it six KO powerbombs out of ten. Man, a closing sequence worth two whole points. That was a 20 percent angle, I guess. Finally, we go to Ari from Montreal who says, guys, be honest, is Russo back as a writer? I ask as there are a lot of 2000 Nitro-esque decisions lately, the overbooking of the entire Becky Rousey and Charlotte angle, and now KO turns on Kofi. Why not let it breathe? For, have for at least a month to make it seem legit. 
The reason why the Festival of Friendship worked was because it didn't happen in two weeks. Well, they had if this, if this was WCW 2000, it would have been Kofi and Xavier turning on Kevin Owens, who would have somehow been the heel in all of this. Yeah, yeah. And then um, somebody's mom being involved as well. Yeah. And then he'd come out and say, Viagra all the, of a sudden. Blue <laughs> Chew. It'd be Blue Chew instead. <laughs> oh, God. I can't go down the 2000 WCW road. All right. Thanks, everyone, for the feedback tonight. Uh, before we end off this show we want to go back to uh, new japan's card from this past saturday uh with sengoku lord and i wanted to talk sengoku about the top lord what yeah. a name <laughs> i love these names it's the best uh the top two title matches were uh the ones we were going to focus on uh starting off with juice robinson and bad luck Fale for the iwgp united states title and i went into this not looking forward to this match because i remember the juice robinson chase owens match uh, from the uh, New Japan Cup Finals, and it, it just featured a million run-ins. You had Jado with the yeah. kendo stick and the powder, and that was kind of what I was expecting in another Juice Robinson versus Bullet Club match. And instead, we had no run-ins. It was a match where Fale was determined to break Juice Robinson's back, and every every single piece of offense from Bad Luck Fale was targeting Juice Robinson's back it allowed Juice to to sell really effectively, yeah. and meanwhile, Juice's game plan was to body slam Fale. That yeah, was his he was, number one goal. He was not going to let Fale have a moral victory with this back attack, and he tried several times and failed with the body slam. And then it built up to finally hitting it, and this was after he kicked out of a grenade, uh, which it's a finish of Fale's that is very much protected in New Japan. Um, not to the level of like a high fly flow, but they're very protective with those that get the kick out of the grenade. And uh, Fale took the body slam after two left hands of God and then a pulp friction as Juice Robinson won the match in 1726. I really enjoyed this match. I liked it a lot. It was the second best match on the show. Uh, and I thought one of, um, I thought the kind of match that Juice really needed and one of Fale's better singles matches in a long time too. I completely agree with you. This way exceeded my expectations. And I think so much of that goes into the pre pre planning and the setup for this match. And, and let me just again, like commend the, the new Japan video production department. Cause even without understanding all of the words in Japanese, I just watched this like quick two minute video before the match. And I immediately knew what the storyline was, you know, uh, juice Robinson is 56 kilos, small, smaller than bad luck folly. They listed it right there. And via their, you know, backstage comments, we, I knew that Juice's game plan was to body slam Folly, and Folly was saying, "How are you going to body slam me when I've broken your back?" It, it was all the setup I needed, and 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 they told the story based on these two goals of each man. Uh, I thought Folly was very good here, stuck to a very simple role, slowly and methodically work over Juice Robinson's back. He didn't have to, you know, do fancy submissions like a Zack Saber Jr., but he doesn't need to because he's just a big man. So, uh, so much of it came down to, you know, Juice's selling as well. I thought Juice, for his role, kind of played like an excellent Hulk Hogan in, in like, sort of like a, a modern Hogan-Andre type of match. His selling was very believable throughout. Good fire in his comebacks that were also very believable and not too exaggerated. I thought the left hands of God were positioned very well. They sounded good. They sounded heavy. Overall, it was just like a simple, minimalistic story that took advantage of both men's strengths. Well, when Hogan was on Arsenio Hall, he he admitted he only 
He was only on the juice when it was legal, and he only did it a couple of times. Uh, main event was Kota Ibushi, Zack Sabre Jr. for the Intercontinental title. Um, Kota Ibushi comes out, and a, a lot of people have uh, recognized this, but he just has that look. Like, the title really does suit him very he wears, well. He wears white, you know, like the belt's white. It, it does look perfect on him. Yeah, it, it just seems like a tailor-made championship for him. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning... Uh, Zach is attacking Abushi's neck, and he applied, uh, he twisted his neck with the feet and dumped him over the guardrail and also knocked him off the apron where he just landed badly on his neck and then yeah. just went to town on it. And uh, in the commentator, sure that- sorry, yeah. No, that's all. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say just uh, the commentators uh, here in this case was uh, Kevin Kelly and Rocky Romero, who I-, I still contend to me is my favorite of the color guys. And, and Rocky pointed out how this is, of course, coming off of uh, Ibushi's match against Naito at MSG and how he must still be nursing some type of, you know, damaged neck. So I thought it made a lot of sense that Zach would focus the match on Ibushi's neck. Uh, so Ibushi finally gets out and stops him with this drop kick as he comes off the ropes. And the transitions here were just tremendous. We had Zach going for the European clutch and Ibushi got out of it and applied one of his own. And in kicking out... Uh, Abushi still held on to Zach's wrists, and uh, it led to this unbelievable bridging German onto Zach for a two count. Um, Zach hit his own bridge, which just looked phenomenal as well. There's kicks in the corner from Abushi, and he does this like comedy spot where he's like talking to Red Shoes, and then behind his back, he's like kicking away and slapping Zach. This was like Abushi, uh, like in dick mode. Because yes. normally, like, he comes across as just, like, almost like an aloof, kind of, like, pretty mild-mannered guy. But then, like, in the middle of, like, a long, epic match, he'll just, like, get into, like, asshole mo- mode where he'll do shit like this, you know? Uh, and it's great. It's, it's like, his Super Saiyan. Uh, we got one of the rare instances of Zack hitting the Zack driver, but he didn't have the energy to turn over and cover him. So I really like that. He hit the move that no one kicks out of, but he was unable to cover him. So they didn't uh, prostitute a kick out of this move uh, and could save it for something else. Uh, Abushi missed with the Bomaye, uh, which is a part of kind of Abushi's new goal is to become the biggest intercontinental champion ever and supersede the two men he considers gods in Tanahashi and Nakamura, who had previously held the title. Um, There's so much history just like in that connection that I I think, um, I think we don't often see in like North American professional wrestling or at least WWE professional wrestling. Just the idea that this, these people held this belt before me and kind of made this belt popular. Now I'm going to try to live up to that, uh, to that, that legacy and even surpass that legacy. Like, I don't, (laughs) I can't recall the last time I've. I, 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 I feel like the Intercontinental Championship in the WWE has been treated with that type of history and reverence. Well, the Iconics, that was part of their promo. They want to be the, the, the greatest WWE women's tag since champions the, of all time. Since the Jumping Bomb Angels, yes. Uh, Abushi landed a head kick, last ride powerbomb for a two count, and then Sabre goes for the Cobra Twist, and Abushi breaks out and hits the best GTS of the weekend followed by the Kamagoye and won the match in 29 minutes. A excellent, excellent main event. Really great match. You know, um, it was uh, the type of match where you, they really got into a zone that really felt like they were kind of like deep in the trenches of, of, of a war. 
And I thought Zach played a tremendous, like, intimidating heel throughout this whole thing, um, which is impressive because he's actually smaller than Kota Ibushi. So I'm always impressed that he's able to, like, pull that off. Uh, Ibushi, as the underdog, his facial expressions and fire were very strong here. It was a match of Ibushi's that I felt relied a lot less on his athleticism and certainly, you know, not not as crazy with the head drops or anything like that. And instead more, relied more on his basics, including his selling and, and his pacing. So it was a less spectacular match than the Naito match, but I personally find it more impressive and, you know, I guess in, in its economy. And then after the match, uh, Tetsuya Naito comes out and he challenges Kota Ibushi, and they go off the air uh, without knowing when this match will take place because they've had matches announced already for uh, Wrestling Duntaku, which is happening the first weekend of May, and it's not going to happen on those shows. They have not announced when, but I'm imagining this could take place at Dominion in June. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it too soon to go back to that match? I was surprised. I thought that they were going to keep them apart because with... Um, with Abushi now having the title, it kind of frees up Naito to go through his big G1 run. So, like, I wouldn't take the belt off Abushi. I think he should have a long, sustained run with this. So, it, to me, it would mean another loss for Naito, but maybe that's where they're positioning him, and then he has the big G1 win. I'm thinking more and more that Naito is going to be the heavy favorite in the G1 this year. I was almost, like, expecting Naito to, like, introduce, you know, like, like Sonata or, or somebody else to kind of challenge him, but... um. I yeah I don't know what Naito would gain from winning the belt back, so I don't see him doing that. I also don't know what Ibushi would gain from beating him again, really. So I kind of found it surprising. Um, but maybe they want to do it in front of a Japanese audience instead of an American one. Uh, so later this week, uh, they have they have a show in Hiroshima on Friday that's headlined by Rapongi 3K taking on Shingo Takagi and Bushi for the junior tag titles. And then they have um, a, a semi-big show on Monday uh, that's headlined by Hiroki Goto versus Jay White and the IWGP tag title match with the Gorillas of Destiny defending against Togi Makabe and Toru Yano. So um, kind, of, kind of some minor shows until the two Wrestling Dontaku shows that are May 3rd and 4th, um, which we will be covering when those ones happen. Cool. Excellent. All right, that's going to wrap things up, everyone. We're going to be back on Wednesday night with a brand new edition of The Double Shot. We'll chat about the Bruiser Brody episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, Way will take us through being the elite. Uh, I also watched MLW's Fusion, uh, which I, I totally didn't even, uh, it didn't even hit me till I saw myself that I was at this show. And Oh, really? Yeah, awesome. I just ran. I was like, wait, <laughs> that guy's got a post hoodie. Oh, shit, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so if you watched Fusion last week, you can spot uh, me and Way in the balcony. Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah, and whatever else comes out. So that is going to be up Wednesday night for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe, and we will speak with you then.